you dick. Girls demand better. And men and guys, don't be a Ron Johnson. In what world are there full carrots in a school lunch? I don't know, rat. I'm kind of busy right now. We are of the same generation, Alex. Just barely. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's pretty sure you're wondering where Kate is. So let me tell you, Kate is a super busy and important lady who's never been more busy and important because life, man. But have no fear, Kate's still around and you'll be hearing more from her in the future, but you'll also be hearing some new voices too. Like today's guest, I'm thrilled to welcome my friend Alex to the pod to discuss none other than 1982's quintessential coming-of-age classic, Fast Times at Richmond High. But before we get into the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of it all, I'd like to tell you a little about Alex. Are you ready for this, Alex? I'm ready. He's an early Gen Xer. 1965, y'all, baseball lover, killer pop culture conversationalist, and all around hell of a guy. Welcome to the pod, Alex. Hey, glad to be here. Um, real excited to be here, actually. I'm so glad to hear that. You've been a big supporter of the pod all through season one, and I really appreciate that. No, I think I think what you and Kate have been doing is, is really, really cool. I mean, I, I have listened to quite a few of your shows, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, you know, because this is something that I've always wanted to do myself, but never had the time. But um, I'm, I'm very happy to be on today with you. That's awesome. And you know what? You're the perfect guest because you love pop culture. Yeah. You're a fan of the movies, the music, the music videos, the television. We talk about pop culture quite a lot. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the 80s and uh, music, for example, music is, is big. You know, all, all the old bands, you know, the Flock of Seagulls, Duran Duran, you know, music actually takes me to a place. So I'm pretty good at, you know, hearing a song and all of a sudden I can tell you exactly where I was during that song, what, what I was doing, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. My, my wife goes crazy when, she, when I'm driving all of a sudden I'll hear this song. I'll say, I was sitting at, uh, you know, it was, this was 1982 and I was uh, at the uh, gym, uh, the high school dance. And I was uh, really, really scared. I was trying to get up, get the nerve to ask Tina for a dance, you know? So I do a lot of that and uh, she just, just drives her nuts. Well, you must have really enjoyed the soundtrack to this film because it was pretty great. Yeah, great soundtrack. Um, you know, it opens up with the uh, the Go-Go's, huge fan favorite of mine. But um, yeah, and then that, that movie itself just kind of, you know, resonated with me. Yeah. So speaking of the Go-Go's, we opened to the Go-Go's, we got the beat at Ridgemont Mall. Here we get the first glimpse of our characters. We meet Stacy, played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. Of course, we know her from Single White Female, Atypical, The Hateful Eight, and Linda, played by Phoebe Cates, my husband's ultimate all-time 80s crush. <laughs> Was she yours? No, but th that scene is uh, epic. That's all it's iconic, for yeah. sure. So, of course, we know Phoebe Cates from Gremlins, Drop Dead Fred, and Shag. She's married to Kevin Klein. So, anyway, they're working at an Italian restaurant in the mall. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is Linda, Phoebe Cates, she was actually the youngest in the cast. She was 18 years old. But she was playing the uh, mature mentor of Stacy there. So, she was playing age-appropriate. So, she was playing like a senior, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know Justine Bateman 
actually turned down that role because she was cast in Family Ties. Hmm. Well, it's hard to say who won that. I mean, you know, you got Phoebe Cates. I mean, she's got that iconic role and that iconic scene, but then right. Justine Bateman's got, you know, how, I, don't, I don't know how many seasons of Family Ties. I mean, that's in syndication, surely. She's making a pretty penny off of that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Hard to say who won that one. Yeah. And in fact, I jumped right into the story, but I didn't even talk about the film itself. It was released October 13th, 1982. The budget was $5 million. And do you have any guesses as to how much it made in the domestic box office? $40 million? No. Okay. So now this is going to sound unimpressive. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Thank you for aiming high. So it made $27.1 million. That's a pretty good return on investment. Definitely a good, good return. I don't know. I, when, when did it come out? In, in August, you said? Yeah, it came out in August of 82. So how old were you? Wow. I was... Uh... 16 going to be 17. So this really was a movie made for me, your demographic. Yeah. Let's see. 1982, August, 1982. I was six. I know. Yeah. I came to this much, much later, probably in my later twenties, actually. That was the first time I saw it. I know. So, so what did you think about that? I mean, I, like the opening scene, for example, when they're walking the mall and you got, you see Mike Damone walking around with his, right. you know, his cabbie hat, just kind of giving everybody the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> Hey, how's it going? You know, that that just, you know, with his swag. Right. I mean, a lot of kids, a lot of kids at the malls. That was huge back then. Sure. Um, you know, I remember uh, when I was growing up, you know, West Covina, uh, Eastland Mall. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Alex and I both grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. In fact, we both went to the same high school like 10 years apart. I think it was 11. So I'm kind of later Gen X. He's early, almost boomer. Boomer Gen X. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. But yeah, okay. Eastland Mall. It was the hot ticket. But that's how it was. But that's how it was then. I mean, you walked, that's what kids did. They went to the malls and they hung out. They talked and were, you know, always talking face to face, going to the arcades. If you were a girl, you were hanging out at the, you know, the local shops there, trying to find that next great outfit. If you're one of the guys, you were at the arcade trying to meet those girls that were, uh, you know, walking around trying to find the next fashion statement. Right. Yeah. If you were a, a guy hanging out in an arcade trying to meet a girl, were you shirtless a la Jeff Spicoli? Never. Never. Can't say I ever had that. I, I, I wasn't. I mean, I, there were a lot of folks that did that back then, too, you know, with their, their, their checker vans and they tuck the shirt back in, you know, in their pants and just walk around shirtless. I mean, yeah, I could just never pull that off. <laughs> Well, I mean, this must have been the generation that the no shirt, no shoes, no service related to, because I don't regularly see people walking around in arcades or malls without shirts on. But, you know, it was a different time. Totally different time. And you could see that in the, in that opening scene. I mean, you just don't see that anymore. Yeah. I mean, the mall was a hot place to be. I, I clocked a couple of stores that you just don't see anymore. Like I saw a B. Dalton books. I'm like, oh, B. Dalton, I forgot all about you. Exactly. You know, it's different time, different, different era. I mean, the kids were totally different, but it was fun. You were too young, obviously, but you know, you're probably still there with your mom holding her hand, walking through the mall. But uh, (laughs) we were at Jemco. Oh, my mom were at Jemco. (laughs) Jemco or Fedco, right? So yeah, exactly. This was around the time I started driving. So um, yeah, so I would take that trip out with my friends. We'd go to the mall, hang out at the arcade and kind of see what happened. Did you see this movie when it came out? Did you see it in the theater? No, I saw it later. You did. Yeah, this was something, unfortunately, that um, you know my dad would never, ever let me watch. Okay. 
But um, you know, I did I did see it later. I saw it on uh, you know VHS, Betamax. Yeah, uh, not quite <laughs> that, that. You rented from Music Plus. It was actually um, might have even been Blockbuster. I don't know, or just a local <laughs> video store. I mean, right. there was a lot of those local video stores back then. But yeah, so you know, I watched it then, and, and then it just kind of resonated with me. Um, my brothers and I, you know, we we got a good laugh out of it. Great movie. Great movie. And in fact, the film is based on Cameron Crowe's 1981 book, Fast Times at Richmond High, A True Story. Now, Cameron Crowe was working as a freelance writer for Rolling Stone at the time, and he went undercover at Claremont High School in San Diego. Of course, administration knew about this. He didn't just like show up on campus and pretend to be a student, but he was there to write about his experiences for his nonfiction book. And just a year later, it was adapted into a film. So it's a pretty amazing story. And of course, Cameron Crowe. We have Cameron Crowe to thank for Say Anything, Singles, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, Elizabethtown, which I know a lot of people didn't see, but it's one of my favorite movies, and Pearl Jam 20, the documentary on Pearl Jam. Did you ever see it? No. Oh, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, Yeah, you should. The film was actually directed, it was the directorial debut of Amy Heckerling, who went on to direct National Lampoon's European Vacation, Look Who's Talking, and the ever-iconic Clueless. So not a bad first film. No, not bad at all. And so, like you were saying, at the mall, you know, we see these girls working, and Jennifer Jason Lee, interestingly, according to IFC, to prepare for the role, she took a job at Perry's Pizza in the Sherman Oaks Galleria Mall. She was 20 at the time. And Jodie Foster was considered for the role, but she didn't want to do it because she was, you know, too busy studying at Yale, you know, as one is. So I can't imagine her in that role. I mean, I think uh, Jennifer Jason Lee was perfect for that role. Oh, I do too. She had a bit of that innocence too, that the the young girl that's trying to find her place socially in, in high school. And then, you know, just you know, being a little bit naive as well. So, I mean, I don't know that, that uh, Jodie Foster would have been able to pull that off. Yeah, she did. She had a certain innocence to her, like a wholesome quality that Jodie Foster just seems a little more seasoned. And I really bought into that naivete when she's conducting herself the way she thinks she's supposed to be at that age, rather than really how she maybe wants to be acting. But she's friends with, you know, older girls, and she thinks this is what you do when you like a boy. And so it doesn't really work out that well for her. And we find that out later. We actually find it out in the beginning because, you know, again, trying to fit in, trying to be, you know, like her mentor there. And uh, she goes out with, uh, God, I forgot his name. Ron. Ron Ron, Johnson. Ron Johnson. Not to be confused with Don Johnson. Exactly. So he he asks her for his number, which, by the way, was real smooth. It was a smooth move. I actually have that in my notes. So an older guy comes into the restaurant and the girls are like, you know, go. He's cute. Go go to him. And we learn that she's not even in high school yet. She's 15 years old. He's 26. I know. He said that she was 19 or something. You know? Right. She told him she was 19. Yeah, because in the car, he's like, are you sure you're 19? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm 19, you know, so. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> okay, 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 cool. Where do you want to go? Uh, I don't know. The point. The point. Yeah. You know, it was, again, it was fast times at Ridgemont High. So again, how quickly they just first date and they're at the point and then, you know, what goes on there. Her mom tucks her in at night like she's this little girl, right? And then she gets out of bed fully clothed and 
Ron picks her up and is, I don't know what that was, a trans. It was like a, no, it was like a 280Z or something, like a Datsun 280Z, I I think. Was that a cool car? I don't know. Well, those were, I mean, that was kind of a fast looking vehicle, I guess, but (laughs) I mean, something a stereo salesman would probably drive. Well, it's true. Yeah. So that's funny. I mean, again, you know, laying in bed, trying to be a good little girl, mommy tucks her in and she sneaks out the window. I mean, who didn't do that back, back in the high school days? I mean, I didn't do that, Alex, to be honest with you, but oh, come on, I didn't. So tell me about sneaking out of the house. What'd you used to go do? And how old were you when you were doing it? Uh, it's probably 16, 17, actually. Okay. So it was just, you know, my, my friends, you know, we'd go up to um, another spot in the, in the area, San Gabriel Valley, Glendora mountain road. And, um, you know, I would sneak out the window, you know, it'd be maybe 12 o'clock, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I'd go out with my friends and then we'd, I'd roll the car down the hill and jump start it. <laughs> I would jump start it. I would, cause I, cause I knew that if I turned the ignition, they would hear the, they would hear starting it. Up. Yeah. So I, so I would jump start it. And then I'd go to Glendora Mountain Road and I'd, you know, we'd be up there with friends. I don't know. I don't even know what we were doing. I mean, drinking. Well, you know what you were doing. You don't have to share it on the pod, <laughs> but you know what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you know. And then, then we'd uh, drive. You know, I'd drive home just in time. You know, I, I, my mom would always wake me up at a certain time. You know, like six thirty or something. But I knew that I had to be home by six thirty. So my brother, I'd knock on his window. He'd go to my room, open open the window. You know, so I can get in. And then I'd I'd sneak in and. Uh, I grab a towel, put it around my, my my neck, and just around that time, perfect timing all the time, never failed. My mom would walk in to wake me up, and I always looked like I was ready to go to the bathroom to take my shower. <laughs> so, little did she know, I had zero sleep the night before. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's just fun times. Okay, well, you have an 18 year old son who drives. Does he sneak yeah. out of the house? Do you have an S cam? Are you tracking this? <laughs> so. I'm onto them. I mean, I, I'm not so I'm not so worried about my 18 year old. By the way, I I'm going to be more worried about my 15 going on 18 year old. Uh huh. I mean that. I mean, but you know what? I'm onto them. There's just no way they're not going to be able to pull that off. And you know, truly, like we have cameras in front of our house, we would know. Yeah. I didn't sneak out, but I spent the night at my best friend's house a lot, and she had far fewer rules than I did. So I don't think my mom wanted to know. I think she just turned a blind eye. So so what would you guys do? Just pick up the phone and dial Jimmy's phone number. And then as soon as he'd hang, as soon as he'd pick up, you'd hang up. No, no. I mean, we had a group of friends that was comprised of boys and girls and we were all driving. So we would just go to people's houses, hang out till really, really late at night. But I'm always someone who's needed my sleep. So I was never like the person that was into staying out all night. I'm not mm-hmm. really very functional without sleep, but it sounds like you could handle it just fine. Oh yeah. I mean, the grades suffered just a tad, but I mean, <laughs> you still got into college and you could do that in the eighties. Exactly. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. But good times, good times for sure. So we used to hang out at a place called the view, which it's now houses. It was like way up in the Glendora area and it's houses now. Heard of it. Yeah. That was our spot. What was yours called? It was just Glendora Mountain Road. You just find a spot oh, there. And, okay. So you, yeah. it, it wasn't called The Point. Like, lookout point. That was late in later years for me. That was Chantry Flats in Pasadena. So that was, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like total makeout over there. So where you get to see the city light. Oh, yeah. Is that why you have such a great view in your backyard now? Is that what you were trying to recapture? It takes me back, it takes me right back <laughs> to those times. Let me tell you. <laughs> 
Okay. We meet Brad, played by Judge Reinhold. You might know him from the Beverly Hills Cop movies. He works at All American Burger. And, you know, (laughs) his character was actually one of my favorites because he is really feeling himself. Like he feels successful in his job. He was a single successful guy. Yeah. So here he is working at this burger joint. In a later scene, we see a picture of him like on the wall as employee of the month. Like he takes his job very seriously. And he's dating a classmate who is also a coworker named Lisa. And Jeff and his buddies, Jeff Spicoli, played by Sean Penn, right? which obviously incredible actor. He didn't even have to audition for this role. He was going to audition, and then he was, like, having a conversation with some of the casting people, and they were like, nope, you know what? You don't even need to audition. We like you so much. You've got the role. And for the entirety of shooting, he would not answer to his real name. Like, he was Jeff Spicoli. He was in character the whole time they shot. Yeah, it was like a real method actor kind of thing. But interestingly, Matthew Broderick turned down the role to care for his terminally ill father. Okay, yeah. So he had to do what he had to do. You got to take care of dad there. Again, he's known as Ferris Bueller, period. Forever, forever. Forever, yeah. I just don't think he could have pulled off the role of Jeff Spicoli. I mean, he was so great in that, wasn't he? And even his little stoner buddies played by Anthony Edwards. And of course, we know him from Top Gun and ER and Eric Stoltz. And this was Eric Stoltz's first film. I remember Eric from initially, you know, early on, I remember him from The Mask. Mask. Or Mask, the movie mm-hmm. Mask. And Some Kind of Wonderful. Another great movie. And Pulp Fiction and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So these guys, these stoners come into the restaurant and take off their shirts. That was a thing back then. On the first day of school, this is when we meet Charles, the star football player who drives a 79 Chevy Camaro. And Charles is played by Forrest Whitaker. Yep. Another great actor. Yes. And this was his first film as well. The first time you see him, he pulls up into, into the uh, high school parking lot and Damone you know, was selling or hustling tickets to his uh, to the students says, oh, there he is. I know him. We go back a long way. Right. You know, he asked for the earth, wind and fire tickets. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, he was in love with his car. As he said, do not fuck with it. Yeah. And you were talking about Damone, played by Robert. How do you pronounce his last name? Romanus? I say Romanus. He was in Fame, the TV show. He was? Yeah. I was looking at his IMDb and I nothing really struck me. Mm-mm. And I was surprised because I thought he was so good in this. Yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised he didn't have a bigger career. Yeah. I mean, he might've been one of those guys that get, that got typecast into a role and yeah, it happens. And, you know, and if, it, if he wasn't going to be the slick hustler type guy, then very likely wasn't going to get a role. So seems like there's enough movies with a guy like that. Yeah. I hear you. It's a type, but yeah. I mean, he could lean in. I feel like he could have had a really successful career just playing that same role over and over and over again. Exactly. I exactly. believe it. Uh, me too. And of course, there's Mark Ratner, they call him Rat, played by Brian Backer, and he works at the movie theater in the mall, and he's very earnest and just an all-around good guy. So again, Mark Mark is like like Stacy, right? He's just looking to be, you know, a little bit more like Damone. Wants to get the girl, he'll do, you know, almost anything to get the girl. Right. I mean, but he's not crazy as, as, as most guys, I guess. He just, he wants a girl, but he wants to be completely respectful. And the way that he does it, you can see that when he goes through his, uh, when he has his first date with Stacy, how he's kind of like petrified. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, he's counting on Damone for like all this advice with the ladies. And 
Damone acts like he's such a cool guy in such high demand. You know, he has all this experience. And really, when Rat needs help and he calls him, like he's just home on a Saturday night. Like he's not out (laughs) with a bunch of ladies. He's not out like, you know, living large and having this amazing social life. Like he's home watching TV. Watching TV and drinking a, a, a carton of chocolate milk. Right. I don't know, Rat. I'm kind of busy right now. With his little solid solid state television in the in the corner there. And it, it's funny because it's like Daisy wants to be more like Linda and Mark wants to be more like Damone. Right. Really, I don't know that either of these people are necessarily worth aspiring to, but I guess these young kids don't know it yet. Yes, they want to fit in, right? It's what we all want. Exactly. Back at school, this is when we first meet Mr. Hand, the U.S. history teacher, played by Ray Walston, who is known for Popeye, The Sting, and uh, I think my favorite Martian, too. I think I read that. That's how I remembered him. Okay. And even, that was way before my time. And even Paint Your Wagon. I think he was born in like 1914. He played a good role there as a history teacher. He was fantastic. I mean... Didn't we all have a teacher like that at some Absolutely. point? Absolutely. Especially, you know, writing on those chalkboards and, you know, passionately writing on the chalkboards, tap, 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 <laughs> tap, tap, and underlining and having the chalk break in their hands. And Right. And, and like a teacher that takes attendance and punctuality so seriously. Oh, exactly. You know, and he's going around telling everyone like, these are the rules of my classroom, removing students' hats because it's disrespectful. Don't eat in my classroom. He locks the classroom door when the bell rings. Actually, I have a funny story about this. Okay, so in college, I had a math teacher who used to lock the door once class started. It was like, if you weren't there on time, you weren't attending the class. So I was on my way to school and I got in a car accident. So I was late. It was my first class on a Friday morning. Uh, So I go to the door. I knock on the door. He opens it like, you know, two inches. Yes, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm late. I got into a car accident. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, he opens the door. Go ahead, sit down. So I sit down. I shit you not. It was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. This happened on a Friday. Monday morning, I'm on my way to school. I got into another car accident. Oh, no. Before his class. Oh, no. Like literally three days later. What did you drop the class after that? (laughs) So, I mean, this is just my dumb luck. Like, these are the things that happened to me, Alex. Like, this is... This is the person I am. So, you know, tail between my legs, I go to the class, I knock on the door, he opens the door, you know, two inches, can I help you? And I said, okay, you're not gonna believe this. I I was almost in tears. I got into another car accident (laughs) and like my eyes were just full of tears. He's like, are you serious? And I said, like, I can't make this (laughs) up like i was i was laughing and crying simultaneously to him he didn't know what to do with all of my emotions he's like (laughs) i'm so sorry go ahead sit down and i sat down in his class and i just silently wept the rest of the period i had no business going to class that day i just should have not gone but i took school really seriously i wanted to be at his 8 a.m class i tried i was a good student too but i'll tell you what if that happened to me twice It wasn't meant to be. I would have just dropped the class. So these two accidents happened so close to each other. And my stepdad, I was living at home at the time. He was like, be careful. Accidents happen in threes. And I was like, oh, you're so dumb. Don't even. Guess what? I got into a third accident that month. 
You got to be kidding me. I am not kidding you. And I don't even want to say this on the pod because I feel like where's some wood. That's fake wood. I feel like I'm jinxing myself, but I haven't been in a car accident since. Three rear ends in one month. How does that happen? I don't know what to say there. I honestly. I wasn't a good driver. It, let's let's be fair, but still. It was, bef- it was before the era of cell phones, so you weren't distracted unless you were listening to your Kiss FM or, or something <laughs> back then. And My pirate radio. Mm-hmm. Or pirate radio, whatever it was yeah. back then, singing along. I mean, what happened? I mean, either the guy behind you or the person behind you wasn't paying attention. I mean. Sudden it, breaking. I mean, come on. It was probably sudden breaking on my part. I was not a great driver. If Kate was on this podcast right now, she would be saying, oh my God, she almost killed me a thousand times. So yeah, I wasn't a great driver, but you know, still <laughs> three times in one month. Yeah. So. That's I uh, can't say I've ever heard that before. Yeah. Well, you have now. So I don't know yeah. that Mr. Hand would have been sympathetic to me, but thankfully my math teacher was. So last thing about the, the classroom, Mr. Hand, chalkboards. Right. Our kids do not know or have not seen a chalkboard. They haven't had to clean a chalkboard. They haven't had to clap erasers. Clap the erasers, right? Yeah. No. It's all squeaky whiteboards. Wow, man. I I, you know, I gotta tell you, this is really making me feel old. I mean, it was a long time ago. You were six. Let's talk about that. You were six. So I mean, in my mind, you know, 1982 was maybe 20-ish years ago. It was not. (laughs) It was a lot longer. So when you watched this movie, did you, I mean, and obviously didn't, did not resonate with you. Obviously you're probably like, what the heck is this all about? No, but it has such a presence in pop culture and it's quoted so often. And it's just part of like everyone's collective consciousness that like you have to, even if you haven't seen the movie, it's in your ether. You know about it. Like, you know, the iconic red bikini, you know, Jeff Spicoli, you know, certain parts of the film, even if you haven't actually sat down to watch it. When I watched it, I was like, huh, I liked it. Like I was entertained by it. It's only an hour and a half, a fun little watch. Like, oh, that's what life was like in the early eighties. I don't know. I didn't graduate high school until 1994, but you graduated what? 1983. Yeah. I mean, these were your people. (laughs) They are nearing retirement age, Alex. Oh, Early retirement, but retirement nevertheless. Yeah, but it was still fun times. Fun. T- I would I would not change a thing. I enjoyed experiencing those times. So if you graduated in 83, you started high school in 79. What's that like? Seriously, again, right? So first of all, you open up the show with, you know, close to a baby boomer. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, Alex, Gen X is defined as 1965 to, it's somewhat debatable. I've seen 78, what? I've seen 79, I've seen 80 as, as the end cap for that. But it begins with 1965. Nothing I could do about that. No, I mean, really so 19, 1979, yes. I mean, I remember graduating junior high and we remember we, we put up signs that said 1979 is just fine. We were so, ex- <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were so excited to, we had the eighth grade graduation dance. And I remember I was wearing a, you know, this baby blue, you know, suit, you know, with white shoes and. So I got to tell you, there's a picture of this somewhere and I've got to find it. Uh, yeah, you do. Cause we need to put it on the ground. Oh my God. And then my hair, I mean, it was thick. Yeah. A lot of volume. So yeah. And then that's how I went into high school. I went into high school looking like I was, you know, 12 years old. And I think I stayed that way through my entire high school career. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fashion was really great in this film too. Yeah. Lots of ringer tees and um, yeah, the high-waisted jeans. Okay, back to Mr. Hand's history class. So Jeff Spicoli arrives late 
Obviously, he can't get into a class. He did not have a car accident before school. He was smoking out in a van. And Mr. Hand is very condescending. He rips up Jeff's schedule. He tells him to go to the office. And Jeff says the iconic, you dick. Yeah. Mr. Hand then gives handouts to the class and they all sniff them. Ditto copies. Oh my God. Yes. Right. Remember the purple ink? Yes. I remember the purple ink. And I actually remember seeing the ditto machine, which you never really, I mean, unless you worked in the office, you would never see that machine. It was like- You like cranked it. Yeah. This metallic thing. Yeah. And somehow you you had the the original, I forgot what it was called. Then you would just kind of twirl it around on the ink. Right. And then you generate your copies and you, and you knew that it was a fresh- batch because they'd be a damp and b you can sniff them and just get completely high off of that ink did they actually make you high or did they smell like something like i don't know i see that ink color and i assume it smells like grapes it probably does not (laughs) what what did it smell like i honestly don't know what was in it i mean could it have made you high I mean, shoot. Yeah, I think it probably could have. I mean, it was probably what, some sort of cancer causing. Yeah. Who knew what was in there? Right. But I, I mean, everybody would press the paper to their faces and <laughs> take that sniff. It's like, <sighs> I haven't seen a ditto since elementary school. There you go again. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're different, Alex. We have different frames of reference. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's talk about school lunch. So Stacy and Linda are at the lunch tables and Stacy tells Linda that she doesn't think that she'll be good in bed and admits she's never given oral sex and doesn't know how to do it. (laughs) So this is when Linda demonstrates on a carrot. And I thought to myself, in what world are there full carrots in a school lunch? Yeah, normally they're chopped up, you know. I mean, soggy, bad school lunch. They're both practicing and then a nearby table of boys end up ultimately applauding once, you know, Stacy figures it all out and it's a really funny moment. So yeah, I had a good laugh at that. Yeah. That's a classic high school moment. Did that ever really happen in real life at a high school? Probably not, but it makes for a good movie. Yeah. Not with the freaking carrots and stuff like that. No, no. We meet Mr. Vargas, weird Mr. Vargas in his biology class played by Vincent Chiavelli. He's known for ghost. 007 Tomorrow Never Dies. And he died in 2005. Yep. He's a real character actor. Yeah. It's like you see that face and you're like, I've seen him in a million movies, but I can't name one of them. Remember, he was that angry ghost, I remember, in the movie Ghost. Yes. Yeah. But then he had the hot wife, right? He had the hot wife. (laughs) He has the hot wife, which we don't learn about till like the end of the movie. And it's just kind of like a little clip and it's hilarious. It's totally hilarious. You're like, how did that happen? How did he get her? Right. So did he have like Damone moves? Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Maybe she liked it. Maybe, maybe, maybe maybe she, she was attracted to his brain. His brain. She likes science. She was a woman of science. Yeah, exactly. She was a scientist. It was just so funny. So in this class, this is where Rat meets Stacy for the first time, and he decides that he likes her. So he tells Damone, I, I think I'm in love with Stacy. Exactly. Like, I really like her. And Damone tells him, a girl decides how far she's going to let you go within the first five minutes. Now, I don't want to say that I agree with Damone on a lot of things, but he's probably not wrong. I don't know that it's conscious, but it's probably true. Yeah. If you like someone, you know almost immediately, yeah, right? Exactly. I don't know that you need a lot of time to figure that out. Yeah. Or if you've got that swag, you know, and you're funny and you're making them laugh and within the first five minutes or so, you know, they could decide, oh, I really like this guy. He's hilarious. He's funny. Yeah. I think I'll go out with him. I think I'll go to the point with him. 
I think I'll go to Chantry yeah, Flats. Or Chantry Flats, exactly. You know, it's funny because I think humor actually accounts for a lot of it. And Damone is a lot of things, but I don't know him to be particularly funny. Like he's funny in spite of himself. He doesn't know that he's funny. He's funny in a you're so ridiculous sort of way. But I, I don't know that he gets the girls. He seems to have a lot of opinions for someone who probably doesn't have very much experience at all. Yeah, you know, you're right. I, I think I think you're right because- what does he end up doing? He ends up taking uh, Stacy. Yeah. You know, meeting Stacy. And I mean, but Stacy went after him because she saw him at the uh, at the restaurant and she probably liked his style, his swag. And, you know, I come here for the strudel. Oh, here, he left <laughs> us behind. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yes. But so Damone, you know, basically took Ratner's girl. Damone's a one telling rat, like, oh, this is how you give off a cool vibe. You know, they call it the attitude. I, I don't know how I feel about all that. Kiss me. You won't regret it. I have his rules a little later. We will break those down. So this is actually the part in the film where Stacy goes on her date with Ron Johnson. He takes her to the point. And I have to tell you, the fact that he takes her into a baseball dugout and brings a blanket, it's just so gross. It's so gross. This is their very first like date, if you can call it that. It was the saddest first time experience. I just felt very, very sad for her. First of all, why is a baseball dugout called The Point? I mean, I was like, because I mean, when I first saw the movie, I thought. Like a beautiful view. You know, The Point is a freaking baseball dugout. Alex is a travel baseball dad. I'm a travel baseball mom. Our boys play travel baseball, not on the same team, but they're best friends. And, you know, we spend a lot of time on shitty baseball fields, like really shitty baseball fields. And um, yeah, I've seen some nice dugouts and I've seen some not nice dugouts. This was not a nice dugout. And even if it was not appropriate for a first date. Yeah. A nice dugout with all the uh, graffiti on the Yeah. And like, like horrible light in there. And it's just, I don't know. I think it left everyone feeling really dirty and gross. Like it was just, it's not what you want. Girls demand better. Exactly. And men and guys don't be a Ron Johnson. Clearly. Are you really 19? Yeah, I am. You're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. Exactly. Run, censor flowers. At least he does that. What was the message? What was it? What do you say there? Um, thinking of you, love Ron Johnson, if I recall. Did, did he sign his full name? Yeah, full name. <laughs> and she's, she's thrilled to see the roses or flowers initially and then realizes, oh, shoot, have mom and dad seen this? And then that's when you see Brad pulling out and uh, she runs the roses over there. Hey, have mom and, mom and dad seen these? Brad with his 1960 Buick LeSabre. She's like, can you get rid of these? And, you know, I don't want anyone to know about them. So, I mean, we find out later around Christmas time that the last time she heard from him was in November. So that was a one and done, unfortunately. At All American Burger, you know, Brad thinking he's the shit. He's telling this new hire that me and Lisa, we've been dating for two years and, you know, the sex is great, but like I'm a senior and I need my freedom. That's when you hear him say, look, I'm a single successful guy. <laughs> I'm a single you know? Successful guy. I owe it to myself to you know, date other people. Okay. Well, like in the very next scene, he tells Lisa, I want to go to the point with you. And she's like, I don't want to use sex as a tool. Does this mean they haven't done it yet? And he was just lying to that guy. He was just lying. You know, he was just posturing or flexing as the kids say these flexing, days. Flexing. Yes. Rat still has it for Stacy, and he finally works up the courage to ask her for her number, but he needs some help. Like, he needs some help with the ladies. Like, I have this phone number. Great. What do I do now? So this is when he enlists Damone's uh, super successful five-point plan to get the girls. Let's see if you agree with these. Number one, never let on how much you like her. I would have totally failed that one. 
I was a bit of a Ratner guy in high school. Like a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, if you're a bad boy, I hear Ron Johnson, I guess, you know. <laughs> I can't hear that name without laughing. Exactly. Okay. Never let on how much you like her. I mean, I, I guess I kind of understand that whole, you got to play it cool. You don't yeah. want to scare anyone off. But then again, like if you really like someone, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would have totally failed that. That's all I could say, Lori. I would have been like flowers. But it's hard to hide it, right? Like yeah. if you really like someone. Agreed. Yeah. And that would have been my problem. I wouldn't even be able to hide it. I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to take my eyes off of her. I mean, to the point where I'd be like, like the weird guy. <laughs> yeah. Who is this creep? You know, somebody save me. With your partner, did she know right away how much you liked her? Like there was no question or were you playing it cool? I was not playing it cool. You were not. I was not. I absolutely was not. She knew. She, I mean, she, she definitely knew, but she would just keep cool. I mean, as mature girls would, I guess. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. Number two. Always call the shots. Kiss me and you won't regret it. I could have never pulled that off. I mean, no way. Kiss I me mean, and you won't regret it. I would have gotten a laugh and then the, <laughs> and then the walk away. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it's a big promise. So yeah. kiss me and you won't regret it. What if you're not a good kisser? What if I kiss you and I do regret it? So, I mean, again, here I am on this first podcast. I'll just say this. I think I'm the best kisser on the planet. Well, I mean, I guess you probably should think that, right? <laughs> it requires confidence to lean in to give somebody a kiss. Like you probably need to think that. I don't know. There's a fine line between confidence and just being a dick. Yeah. So many of these things in his five-point plan border on aggressive. Right. Mike Damone is a little sleazy scalper. He's not the guy that he's that that's represented by that five-point plan. He clearly isn't. All. But he's given poor Ratner all this advice. Right. Ratner's buying it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, so. of course. Okay, number three. Wherever you are, that's the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> isn't this great? Yeah. yeah, isn't this great? This place is awesome. You know what's funny, uh, though? Because when you're young <laughs> and you're broke, if you're with someone you really like, wherever you are, it is the best place to be. Like, you could oh be anywhere. I think about the places I used to go with the boys that I liked, and it just did not even matter. I sort of buy into it. Yeah, you know? I, I would agree. If you're like totally into each other, I guess it really doesn't matter where you're at. But okay. But but one caveat to that is the baseball dugout at the point. That's not the place to be. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Okay. Number four, at a restaurant, find out what she wants in order for the both of you. Have you uh, ever done that one time? Not one time. It's always for me. It was like, so what are you going to get? Yeah. Like she can place her own order. She's capable. What, what are you going to go? What are you going to order? I mean, I still do that. Well, yeah. I mean, I want to know that too, but like, you're not asking so you can place the order for her as some sort of like gentlemanly gesture. It is a weird move. And then number five, when making out, you can't go wrong with side one of Led Zeppelin's four. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts? Thoughts on side one of Led Zeppelin's four? No way. No way. Again, it's Rat totally buying into all the garbage that uh, Damone is throwing out. There it is. Side one. And you can see Stacy totally uncomfortable. First of all, loud as hell. There's no way they could have conversation. I'll tell you this. On their date, on the way to dinner, Rat puts on cashmere, which is actually not on Led Zeppelin 4. Oh. It's on physical graffiti. And that's because producers couldn't get the rights to Led Zeppelin 4. Oh, wow. Yeah. But okay, at the time, did you have a signature like makeout album? What would you have chosen? Oh my God, you. Um, 
Well, it's not necessarily an album. I mean, it was a song, and I love Main Street by uh, Bob Seger. Okay. Um, and to me, that's like that was my song. That was your song. Yeah, that was my song. Your song that you just loved, or your makeout song? My makeout song. Oh, interesting. I don't think I had a makeout song. Yeah, I was really into show tunes in high school. Show tunes. I really love musicals and. <laughs> Yeah. Musicals and 70s easy listening. But I I don't know. I was a late bloomer. I don't think I really like had an album. And I certainly never put the energy into a mixtape for that. That's okay. Not everybody has that, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't need a soundtrack to that, I guess. Yeah. No, you don't. It's your moment. It, but it doesn't include Led Zeppelin's four. So <laughs> <laughs> like at all. So they go to this restaurant. What kind of restaurant was it? It almost reminded me of a Northwoods Inn. Sort of. Was it a German restaurant? It was a German restaurant. Yeah. He realizes, oh shit, I don't have my wallet. Exactly. And, you know, we talked about this a little before when he calls Damone and asks him to bring his wallet to the restaurant. I don't know. I'm kind of busy. (laughs) So they order everything because he's killing time, finally gets his wallet. So now it's the end of the date and he takes Stacy home. Oh, this made me sad too. So Stacy invites him in. She likes him. Yeah. No one's home. Yep. Bold move. The minute they get in the house, she's like, can you unzip my dress? Like, I want to go change. And it was a sexy move. And again, it's one of those things that she's doing because she thinks she should. Right. Made only more evident by the fact that She's now in this robe. They're sitting on her bed and she's like, do you want to look at pictures of me when I was a kid? The most unsexy thing ever. Like, do you want to look at it? It's this like wholesome activity while she's there in this robe on her bed with him. You could totally feel his discomfort too. Of course. He was absolutely uncomfortable with that whole situation. Because I mean, even he was like, okay, this is moving a little too fast. Exactly. I really like her. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I'm not ready for this. And so he makes up some lame excuse and gets the hell out of yeah, there, which yeah. the car. Yeah. He had to get the car back to his sister. Yeah. That was missing the car stereo that got stolen while they were on the date. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Stacy later tells Linda, like, I don't think he really likes me because we did not have sex on our first date. I don't think he really likes me. And then what does she say? She says, well, what is he? He's only, he works at the movie theater. What do you want? Yeah. Not the greatest advice. No. So this is when Jeff is driving Charles's little brother to a party. <laughs> and Charles's Camaro. He's driving like shit. Like he's so stoned. I think they might be drinking in the car too. Yeah, they're stoned and they're drinking and he's driving in between lanes. I mean, this is just crazy. And it's a Camaro. It's in good condition. He's bashing it into cars along or whatever <laughs> street they were in. It's like, what is going on here? <laughs> He ends up crashing the car into a construction area. And Charles's brother's like, my brother's going to kill us. And Jeff says, be glad I had fast reflexes. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Falls into this construction site. And he's got the, all these brakes on the vehicle. Everything's just smashed up. He's like, I can fix this with my dad's TV repair tools. Yeah. Yeah. My, my brother, my brother's going to shit. <laughs> what's he gonna do is he gonna shit or is he gonna kill us my brother's gonna shit then he's gonna, he's gonna kill gonna us, kill us. <laughs> he goes i can fix it and then the freaking diabolical plan it was genius you gotta hand it to jeff <laughs> i wouldn't have thought of it and i am of clear sober mind what, what kind of a little brother is that though buys <laughs> well, into this plan you know just you know. like a little crappy little brother you know oh Whatever. my god 
okay, so there, there's going to be a big football game, right? Yeah. At Richmond High. And they're preparing for it. Their rival school is Lincoln. So everywhere there's like banners and everything that say, kill Lincoln, assassinate Lincoln. And we see Charles's destroyed car parked in front of the school with the words Lincoln kills and Lincoln rules tagged on the car. Charles sees this. He's livid. And then this is when he launches into beast mode at the game. And he's like sending kids off the field in stretchers. I mean, he's scaring the crap out of everybody. He is so pissed. I mean, he's flying everywhere. He's tackling everybody, kids. You know, he's tackling them so hard that they're on the, on the ground vibrating, you know, it's just like, you know what? Those kids will never be the same again, man. Yeah. I don't don't think any of those kids continue with their football careers. (laughs) No, no. I I don't know that they were able to go on to college No, or walk again, quite honestly. Oh my gosh. Oh, we skipped the part where Brad gets fired from all American burger. That's one of the great scenes there. You know, it really is. Did you catch in that scene, Nicolas Cage? Yes. That was his first film. He went by a different name, right? He did. He's credited as Nicholas Coppola. He's actually the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. Right, right. He changed his name because he didn't want to be like accused of nepotism in Hollywood. Exactly. Like IFC said that Nicolas Cage was originally supposed to play Brad, but he was like so quirky. He was so fully Nicolas Cage that they were like, there's just like so much to you. So yeah, so he had this little bit part in the back. That was a great scene when he gets So fired. yeah, it's a great scene. Like this guy orders breakfast. He's not satisfied with his breakfast. He wants his money back. And he's eating practically the whole thing. Exactly. And Brad was handling it well. For a teenager, he was handling a dissatisfied customer very well. I have a son that works in food service. Yeah. It's not an easy job. People yeah, are really not. rude. And yeah, he was handling it well until he wasn't. And he finally threatens to kick his ass. And yeah, he ends up fired. Yeah, because the guy the guy's relentless and and getting his money back. He virtually ate the whole thing. He's like, no, why don't you put your little hand in a little cash register and give me my money, Brad? Brad. Yeah. And poor Brad, you know, he needs to fill out a form. He was just following policy. He's following procedures, right? So then finally he calls him a moron or something. And then Brad stands up and he says, Sir, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100 percent of your ass. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a classic scene. Yeah. And my kids, my, my sons love that, that that scene. I've used that line on my sons many uh, times. Ah, yeah. Like, if you guys don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. They're like, oh, we better listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, Brad's not having a good life. His senior year's not going well because Lisa breaks up with Brad at the school rally. Yeah. So now he's not, what was it? A successful- single successful guy. Yeah, he's not a single... Su- well, he's single. He's no longer a successful guy because right. now he has to get a job working at Captain Hook's Fish and Chips. And he hates his job. That, that nice little uniform. Yeah. I mean, the boys at IBM want their uh, lunch and, and he's taking his uniform off because he's going to make the drive to IBM to deliver their food. And and then was uh, the boss, Brad, what are you doing? You know, you're a representative yeah. of Captain Hook Fish and Chips. You need to wear your uniform. That uniform is our brand. <laughs> right. You you got to put that on. So he's reluctantly wearing this in the car, right? Yeah. And a hot woman drives by, which, by the way, the woman, you know who that was? Yeah. yeah. Nancy Wilson, who was Crow's then girlfriend, later his wife, now his ex-wife. Wow. Wow. You know, he's thinking, oh, this woman's checking me out. She She's smiling at me. Really, she's laughing at him. He checks a glimpse of himself in the mirror and is like, shit, I'm wearing my pirate's hat. He throws it out the window. He's 
But first he ate that food, which is like, ugh. And he realized it was so bad. This is why I don't get food delivered because I don't trust someone else's hands in it. Oh, agreed. That's totally. And he throws everything out the window. I know. We're now at Stacy's house and Linda and Stacy are laying out by the pool. And Linda, oh, I sent a letter to Doug in Chicago. He works at an airline. Like she's got this great love. Yeah. This accomplished and guy. And he's older. And right. So he's that guy. And so uh, Damone and Rat surprise Stacy at home. They want to go swimming. And the boys jump in the pool and begin to play. And Stacy joins in. They're just, you know, it's good, clean, fun. And Linda's annoyed. And she's like, I don't even want to be a part of any of this. This is stupid. She doesn't like those boys. No. And this is when Brad comes home from his shitty job. And, and he's all like sad. Yeah. Can you keep it down? I have some work to do. And he goes into the bathroom and he sees Linda in her red bikini from the bathroom. Iconic scene. Here we Iconic go. Iconic scene. And she looks great. Phoebe Cates, beautiful woman. And so he begins to fantasize about her taking off her bikini top and kissing him while he <clears throat> pleasures himself. In the middle of his fantasy, <laughs> Linda comes in the bathroom. She opens the bathroom door and catches him. Doesn't anybody knock anymore? The most awkward moment. And what I love the most about it was it just ended. They never talked yeah. about it again. No, that was the end. Yeah. And so, of course, that's the scene that all the YouTube clips are of because we get to see Phoebe Kate Stopless. Oh, my God. And there's gifts about it. And it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Well, that's like my generation thing now, right? It's not. I mean, our kids are these days aren't looking at that. I mean, yeah, I don't know that my kids know the the red bikini. I mean, you know, who's Phoebe Cates? I mean, they don't, they don't know who Phoebe Cates is. I mean, this is something that will probably just linger with my generation. Not even <laughs> yours, my generation. We are of the same generation, Alex, just barely. The way you're portraying me, I don't think so. I think my generation, as you call it, you know, being a teenager in the 90s as opposed to the 80s, I we have our own moments. I can't think of anything specifically offhand right now, but... It's probably the kiss from, what is it, Wild Things with Denise Richards. That was probably the big, iconic, like, sexy thing I remember from the 90s. Yeah. 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 I, I would definitely say for the 80s, Phoebe Cates in her red bikini. It's a thing. Agreed. At school, we get the feeling that Stacy is starting to like Damone. Yep. And she starts doodling, you know, her name with his last name. And, and Jeff Spicoli orders pizza to the classroom. Like, Mr. Hand is like, why is he in class? Like, why yeah. is he on time? I'm so thrown by this. And this smiling. So and, and that awkward smile. Then he has a pizza delivered to the classroom. Iconic. Yeah, but he hands that pizza to everybody. Spicoli doesn't taste any of that pizza. He gives it off to, he gives it to the entire class. He gives it to the class. He eats a slice. Mr. Hand's like, oh, thanks for the pizza. You dare order pizza to my classroom? Yeah, because it was, you know, Mr. Hand was, you know, what are you doing on my time? Well, I was thinking if I'm here and you're here. <laughs> isn't it our isn't time? It our time? <laughs> Stacy tells Damone that Mike's really nice. But I like you. He walks her home. She invites him in and she's like, do you want to go for a swim? And he's like, sure. And in the pool house, they kiss, they undress, and they have sex without protection. It's like one, two, three. Like it just happens. And he freaks out, leaves immediately. I really got to go. Here she is again, conducting herself this way again. He runs into her at school and she's, you know, walks right past her and Mike, hi, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, you know, I really got to run to class and 
just kind of blows her off. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, but then the next scene, right, is sometime later, she tells him she's pregnant. And oh my God, he's so immature. He's like, we only did it once. How do you know it's mine? You wanted to do it. It was your idea. You wanted it more than I did. Take it back. We've got to get an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Very matter of fact. Yeah. And, you know, the abortion's 150 bucks, but she's only asking him for half of it. And a ride. He's getting off pretty easily. This is a tough scene. I will say that I did find that it was pretty revolutionary for the film to even like touch on abortion without it also leaning in really, really hard to like the shame that Mm -hmm. Hollywood likes teen girls to feel about sex. Like Kate and I talked about this in the 90210 episode where Brenda and Dylan have sex for the first time. In this case, for Stacy to make the decision, albeit maybe it was a misguided decision, you don't get the impression that she spent a lot of time thinking about this or consulted a trusted adult about it no. or really educated herself on her options. Well, who would she tell? Okay. She didn't tell her parents. Sure. A lot of people don't tell their parents, but like perhaps a school counselor, perhaps. Uh, yeah. I don't know that anyone would have. I mean, at least back then. I mean, again, this movie's fast times. So. It's fast times. I mean, it's like she's pregnant and then in the next scene, she's no longer pregnant, but right. There wasn't a lot of shame about it. It's like she was making these choices and and then here's the consequence and then I'm going right. to deal with it and then it's just done. It's never talked about again. It was interesting though, because like even Dirty Dancing, the fact that it even had an abortion subplot was like, oh, what are we going to do with this? You know, definitely a taboo subject. Yeah. So in the next scene, Mike's trying to collect money from people who owe him and he's not having a lot of luck with that. And yeah. The day of the abortion, he never shows up to pick up Stacy. Stacy calls the house and then, you know, and then the mom answers, hi, can I speak? Can I speak to Mike, please? Oh, he said he's in the garage with his dad and uh, he'll call you later. Can't even take her call. Right. And then luckily though, Brad's there, right? Brad saves the day. Her brother who, you know, she confided in too, right? It was a nice moment. Absolutely. He asked about it. She didn't want to tell him. He's like, okay, that's okay. I support you. And he took her home. I mean, that's what brothers and sisters are for, right? Yep. I mean, at least that's what they should be. That was a good scene. Let's see. Stacy calls Linda and tells her Mike never showed up. And Linda calls him a little prick. And in the next scene, we see Mike leave his house and to find the words prick spray painted all over his gremlin. Drives into school and then he notices people are looking at him, kind of laughing at him. And why? Because his locker it says little prick on his locker. He had it coming. He had that coming oh, for sure. Oh, 100%. And so Rat confronts Damone about Stacy. Yeah. And this is when Damone's like, it was no big deal. Whatever. It didn't mean anything. And Rat gets pissed and they are about to brawl and it gets broken up. Yeah. I mean, I think I think he's pissed because again, I mean, cares for her and he makes a move on his girl and the girl that he's trying to trying to get, right? Exactly. And and the fact that they were best friends. Like he let a girl get between them. I don't know. Did you ever have that issue with a friend? I did, but much later. It's actually in college. I shouldn't say much later. Did you lose the friend? No, we, we're still friends to this day, but we just don't talk about it. Oh, it's like the unspoken thing. Yeah, it's the unspoken thing. Girl and I are, are friends on Facebook. But yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, that's the only time. And uh, we just don't speak about it. And to this day, obviously don't. And well, I guess why would we? You know, we're both mid-50s now. <laughs> You've both moved on. Exactly. 
Well, it's good that your friendship could withstand it. Oh, yeah. It was touch and go there for a little bit, though, I'll say. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine. But did you ever get in a fight in high school? I did. Really? Only one. What happened? So this was after P.E., you know, PE back then was pretty cool because you played whatever sport was in season is a sport that you played during PE. I think this was, you know, football or something, but I had this kid who really, first of all, like I said, I looked like I was 12 all through high school, but mm-hmm. this kid thought because I looked that way or, you know, that yeah, he, he could, you know, bully me around a little bit. So, so uh, after class, I mean, my, you know, we'd beaten his team. He wasn't mad. He, I was a big talker too. So he had beaten his team. And so he's outside. And he's waiting for me. He's like in my face. And, and I go, Hey, just leave me alone. I don't want to get into it with you. But then he pushed me and, he, and I felt this power. Like he was super, super strong. And he was about to eat me alive. Oh no. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so he sees that I'm afraid now. Right. Right. So then he can sense your fear. Yeah, he totally <laughs> sense it. Right. Because it was a gentle push, but I kind of went two feet backwards, you know? Right. So I'm like, oh my God, this guy's really, really powerful. I'm about to die here. <laughs> so what happens is he he sees this and he's got this smirk on his face. I can still see it perfectly right now. He's got this smirk on his face. And he tells his friend, hold these books for me. Then he starts taking his jacket off. Like, here, t- oh, you're going to no. hold my jacket. So as he's do- taking the jacket off, that was my moment. So I jumped on him. <gasps> I jumped on him and I grabbed him around the head and I put him in a headlock and I just pounded like, I don't know, 10, 15 punches to his, to his face. Oh his my God. And it was just so fast. The teacher broke it up and I was so fired up and, and coach knew what happened. Coach knew that the other guy was starting it. And I just basically defended myself, right. but that's the only fight I got into. So what happened? So after, so here's the story. So after that, he's in class with his, with a bunch of friends that I know, and he's telling people that he's going to He's going to fight me at the park after school across the street. Infamous drug park across the street. The stoners. Yeah, where the stoners hung out. Yeah, yeah. He tells one of my friends, he goes, yeah, I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to beat him up. I mean, I almost kicked his ass anyway at PE. And then my friend steps in and he goes, wait a second. What are you talking about? He kicked Kicked your your ass. ass. He goes, and you're going to go take him out to the park and try and to- he's tiny. Take- he looks like he's yeah. 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that you're going to be able to kick his ass after what he did to you? So after that, nothing happened. But what the story is, the way it ends is he and I ended up being good friends. What? Yeah. He and I ended up being good friends. I mean, he actually lived in my neighborhood and I didn't know that. And I'd see him around and we'd, we'd go, we'd play football out street, street, you know, Sandlot baseball, football in the street. It turned out to be a good kid. So what was his deal that day? He just really didn't like to lose in PE? Freaking macho man. I don't know. Or maybe he didn't know me. He didn't know that I lived in his neighborhood. I don't know what it was, but he, yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, I, my heart's palpitating right now thinking about it. <laughs> Just, You're lucky to be here, Alex. You could have died that day. Oh, I, I, I thought I was. I thought I, I thought it was over. Okay. Well, you were tiny, but you were scrappy. That's, that's how I, that's, that's my story right there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. That's a story. Yep. Okay. So Mr. Vargas takes the biology class on a field trip to the hospital where they get to see cadavers in a morgue. And this is where Stacy and rat kind of reconnect because she's grossed out and he's there to support her. It's now the night of the last dance. Jeff is smoking out in his room. He's getting ready to, to go to the dance. His room is just like wallpapered in pictures of like bands and, and you know, surfing and naked women, centerfolds. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That was, that was, again, that was that time, by the way. Yeah. Suddenly he has a guest. 
Mr. Hand. I mean, there's a bong right there. Oh, like, I know. And, and the room's got to smell. The moon's got to reek to weed. And, uh, you know, and he walks in and he sees that all those centerfolds and just kind of, hmm. but he has a full accounting. He has a full accounting of uh, the amount of time that Spicoli wasted. Yes, you have wasted eight hours of time. And uh, Jeff is sure to correct him that it's their time. Exactly. And now they're going to talk history and they're going to make up for all that wasted time. Let's talk some history. So we pan to the dance. And of course, there's a live band. And um, Damone apologizes to Mike. They're still friends in spite of it all. And we keep going back and forth between the dance and Jeff's room. And then... (laughs) This is where he begins to really, you know, sort of soak in all that information. And he's explaining history in his own way. In his surfer. In his surfer. In the surfer vernacular. Yeah. Yes. Back to Mr. Hand. And it's pretty fantastic. And uh, this is where we get to see back at the dance that Mr. Vargas has a hot wife. How'd that happen? Who knows? In the school bathroom, we learn that Linda's boyfriend is not coming to her graduation. She's really sad about it, but she's going to move on. I'll tell you, that is always happening in a bathroom at a dance. Someone is crying. There is a girl crying in a bathroom. Really? At every school dance. Yes. That is a fixture. Over Jimmy dancing with Sally. There's something happening. There's some drums behind the scene. There's always a girl there, and she's trying not to mess up her makeup. And she's crying and and a a group of girls are all gathered around her trying to like talk her up. You don't need him. There's other boys. Uh." Yeah. That's always happening. That's funny. Later at the mall, Stacy ends up telling Linda like, you know what? I'm not looking for sex. I want romance. So she's decided this way of life is not really working out so hot for me. I, I want more out of a relationship. She wants romance. She finally gets it right. She gets it on her own. In that sweet moment, she gives Rat a photo of herself and she tells him, you know, call me. Yeah. And then Rat has this awkward, well, I can't, I'm going to be on vacation. Come on, man. Right. And then she slides him the photo and he's like, yeah. God. Well, he's trying to be cool, right? Trying to be clueless, I think. That's not cool. You think he's trying to be cool? Never let on how much you like Uh, That's right. Okay. Rule number one. Okay. So now we pan to a convenience store. Brad, this is now his third job <laughs> during this film. I know. So he's working at like the mini mart, the mini mart. And uh, did you know that I don't go into convenience stores? I did not know that. You mean, yeah, even, I don't so like you've them. never been into an AMP. No, I mean, I've been in them. It's not my favorite place to be. I don't uh. like them. I feel nervous in them. I feel like they get robbed. There's always dudes hanging out on very tiny bikes in front of convenience stores, which I never like. Where? Where do you go, though? I mean, like every 7-Eleven ever. Yeah, I don't step into 7-Elevens. I agree there. I mean, is there a difference between a 7-Eleven and a, I almost said a special K, a Circle K? I mean, I don't know, an AMPM, like they're all the same to me. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I mean, I mean, that's a wholly different podcast if you want to go into you know the different <laughs> brands of c stores but i mean they're different i mean they are different okay they're different they're still not my favorite place to be like i would rather go into an albertson's grocery store and stand in line for 10 minutes to buy a water yeah then okay. pop into a 7-eleven for two seconds i don't feel safe there i i'm told regularly by the people in my life how stupid that is well i'm not i'm not gonna say that to you this time i'm not gonna i'm gonna spare you that 
Yeah. You know why you're not going to say that to me? Because look what happens in this convenience store. Like there yeah, are exactly. reasons I feel this way. So, so Brad's working there and Je- Jeff comes in to use and asks to use the bathroom. And while he's in the bathroom, a robbery takes place with a gun. And um, it's a very scary moment. And it's foiled only by Jeff coming out of the bathroom and distracting the gunman. And Brad throws coffee on the robber. He grabs the gun in a super badass moment and he saves the day. Yeah. All right, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So then this is when we get title cards. Now, the director, Amy Heckerling, she actually did not want to reveal the futures of each character. She hmm. just kind of wanted to leave it open ended, but Universal Pictures insisted on them. So this is what we got. Brad, it says, Brad is made manager of the convenience store. And yeah, he is now a single successful, successful guy. guy. Yeah, exactly. He, he's back on top, if you will. Uh, Mike Damone is busted for scalping Aussie tickets. And now he works at a 7-Eleven. So now his life is in danger also. Linda is attending college in Riverside. She's living with her <laughs> abnormal psych professor. <laughs> oh, my God. Because of course she is. Yeah, how appropriate. For sure, that's appropriate. Right, that was so perfect for her. Yeah. yeah. Rat and Stacy are in a passionate love affair and still haven't gone all the way. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Ratner's just not ready. He's not Ratner's ready. just not ready. That's okay. She wants to take it slow, so I applaud that. And then Jeff, Jeff Spicoli saved Brooke Shields from drowning. <laughs> that's his classic. <laughs> he blew all of his reward money on hiring Van Halen to play his birthday party. Hey, that's how it has to be with Spicoli, right? There. I mean, it, it tracks. Yeah, exactly. So that's the end of our iconic film. What's interesting, though, is this film is obviously so beloved, right? Yep. It holds a place in cinematic history. Everyone loves it, but the critics really didn't. And I want to talk to you about Roger Ebert because Kate and I talk about him a lot and we never agree with his reviews. He said at the time in 82, the whole movie is a failure of taste, tone, and nerve. The waste of a good cast on erratic offensive material hasn't been thought through or maybe even thought about. His review went on to talk a lot about how Jennifer Jason Lee is so talented and how her talent was like fully wasted on this film. So what do you think about that review? I mean, first of all, I mean, he's not going to relate. I mean, where what, what generation is he? Was he the baby boomer generation? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know. And then look, I mean, it's high school. I mean, this is what happens in high school. I mean, I mean, at least back then. I mean, this is apparently what was happening in Claremont High School in San Diego. Right. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, th- I, you know, I used to, you know, watch the show Siskel and Ebert and I always, you know, found it. They were just a little too uptight for me. I mean, too uptight to have an open view of, of, of these movies. I don't agree with him at all. I mean, yeah. I do agree Jennifer Jason Lee was very, very talented, as we saw later on. I mean, obviously, Sean Penn did a fantastic job, for, uh, Force Whitaker. Right. And then, you know, you had um, Brad. Uh, what's his name? Judge? Uh, Reinhold. Reinhold, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was also the close talker in Seinfeld. You know? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. So all those kids, every you know, did some great things later on in life. I mean. This was just a movie. This is how they broke in more. Some of them. I mean, did, he you know? called it. He he did say a good cast. Okay. Right. On erratic, offensive material that hasn't been thought through or maybe even thought about. 
But that's high school. That's high school. I mean, we could have gone much more in depth on a lot of these issues, like the abortion, right. for example, and we didn't. It was right. just too fast paced. It was fast times. Like we were moving on to the next thing. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, he might have been offended by the posters in, in Spicoli's room, <laughs> which again, same thing. It was big at in that time. I mean, if you were a young male, a young man, a young kid, you had posters in your room. Did you have centerfolds in your room? So I did have a lot of posters. Okay. But it wasn't the centerfold variety. One of my favorite places to hang out was uh, Tower Records. Oh, yeah. So I loved, obviously, the music, right? But then there was, they also had an amazing poster section. Okay. And they had, in those poster sections, they had, there were some scanning clad women. So one of my favorite posters is Cheryl Teague's, again, another iconic poster of, of her. She was in a pink bathing suit. I had that on my door. Um, I had a Linda Carter poster. Linda Carter, Wonder Woman? Yeah, yeah. God, she had, she had an amazing poster. Okay. I had a couple of Cheryl Teague's posters and I put them up on the wall, but there was one that I had of a Playboy centerfold that I just could not, not buy. I had to buy it. And I remember I bought it and I had to. This was in high school? Yeah, this was in high school and I had to sneak it into the house. Okay. I was going to say your mom let you hang that in your room. But check this out. <laughs> okay. So I hung it behind the door in my room. She, <laughs> right. So she would open the door. She wouldn't see anything, right? And she closed the door. She wouldn't see, Only I would see the poster. Genius. Right. So that poster was there, I mean, until I left the house. So a couple of years, it was, it was there. And I had to take it with me. So, but yeah, that was the time. I mean, everybody, and even, you know, my friends, I mean, some of them, some of them, the parents didn't care. They had centerfolds on their walls. How would you feel if your sons wanted to put centerfolds on their walls? You're going to ask me that question. I mean, obviously I'm going to ask that question. You have an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. So again, I would not be, I mean, that's just not a thing that they do, right? That, these days, these days it's about the gram, you know, they, they can get all their content there. Yeah. Um, they don't so have to work no, for their porn. It's, yeah. it's easily accessible. Right. So there's no posters and stuff. I mean, how would I feel? I think mom obviously would be very, very pissed off. Yeah. I would have to kind of, you know, I'd have to side with mom. Hey, look, yeah. man, you can't have this poster up there. This right stuff now. is just so easily accessible now. I feel like you yeah. you should have to to work for any, you know, scantily clad imagery. That shouldn't just be just there for the taking. And yet it is. It's everywhere. So what can you yeah. do? Yeah. But... I mean, back then it was a bit tougher. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think uh, Ebert was a little offended. It, it offended his delicate sensibilities. Yeah. yeah. So Ernest Leagrande of the New York Daily News said, what it doesn't have is a clear point of view, something that would make it of more interest than leafing through a high school yearbook. I, I think it was intended to be a slice of life. I don't know that yeah. it was intended to really teach us something. I don't think there was a big moral lesson here. And that's what I go back to, right? I mean, it, this is a snapshot into high school life in 1982. Yeah. This is what it is. We kind of have to take it for face value. Were you entertained by it? Were the characters different and unique enough? Was the music great? Yes, it was. Absolutely. Okay. So what Variety had to say was, the nice thing is that Crow and director Amy Heckerling have provided something pleasant to observe in all these characters, though they really are sadly lacking in anything gripping. I don't actually think that's true. I think Stacy had the most gripping storyline, but maybe the rest of their storylines were a little surfacey, but still entertaining nevertheless. Yeah. I mean, so you're right, Stacy, and maybe to some extent Ratner as well. I would agree with that. Yeah. 
And and I think if if you want to look at those characters, ultimately we learn that it's really okay to slow it down. Like, yeah, it's fast times at Richmond High, but maybe now they're proceeding with slower times at Richmond High, and that's not such a bad place to be. No. What's interesting is the high school scenes for this film were filmed at Van Nuys High School and Canoga Park High School. Hmm. And the interior of the mall was filmed at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Of course. That was, again, one of the... Uh... One of the galleries, exactly. Glendale Gallery or even Sherman Oaks. Those were the spots to be. So the real life Mark Rat Ratner is based on uh, a guy named Andy Rathbone. And he was a student at the time that Crow was writing his book. And this is the guy that went on to write many of the help books, the Four Dummies. Oh, really? About computers. Oh, man. Yeah. He's a real dude. That's good. Yeah. So in terms of the legacy of this film, there was actually a spinoff, a TV series called Fast Times in 1986. Do you remember this? I do not. Yeah. Ray Walston and Vincent Chiavelli reprised their roles as Mr. Hand and Mr. Vargas. So the teachers were Mm -hmm. in the series. Right, right. And Patrick Dempsey was cast as Mike Damone. And Courtney Thorne-Smith was cast as Stacy. I don't know that I would have liked it. There were only seven episodes. Yeah, rightfully so. In 2005, the film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And it is! Right, and that's where Ebert was wrong, right? Definitely, historically, culturally significant. Absolutely. 100%. But did you know... Last year, in 2020, the cast of Fast Times reunited for a virtual table read to benefit CORE, the community-organized relief effort in response to COVID-19. They raised a bunch of money. They had a bunch of viewers. And so members of the original cast were there doing readings, as were Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, Matthew McConaughey, Jimmy Kimmel, and a bunch of other people. You can look it up on YouTube. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I didn't even know about it. I didn't know either. Overall, final thoughts on the film? I mean, I just got to say, I mean, like I said, I loved it. It resonated with me because it was perfect in terms of of my time. And um, I think Cameron Crowe did a great job with that movie. Although I do think, you know, how would they do something like that these days? I mean, I don't don't know. I don't know that it would be possible. You know, where you infiltrate a school and you pretend that you're one of the students and you you do that. Yeah, it, it would be interesting. It would certainly be a lot different, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the age of social media and stuff. I mean, with kids being not as interactive face-to-face as, as we were back then. I shouldn't even say back then because it wasn't that long ago. It was that long ago. <laughs> Get out. No. <laughs> Let's think about this. I'm not so good with the maths, but isn't this movie like 39 years old? I mean, seriously, what are you doing to me? Oh, I know. But it was such a beautiful time. That's all I got to say. It's such a beautiful time. And I, I love the 80s. I look back on the 80s as being a fun time to be a a young kid. I don't disagree with that. Absolutely. It was a good time. Sometimes I see on social media kids today saying little things like, I wish I could go and be a teen in the 80s. It sounded so cool. I'm like, it was. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) It was cool. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining me to talk about fast times. I mean, you were the perfect guest to have. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. I mean, God, I love this. This was this was fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you thought so. I love what you and Kate have done, and um, and just thanks for having me on. You are very welcome, and we'll totally have you back. I'm in. 
Good to hear. You heard it here, folks. That's a commitment. You got it. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe if you like what you hear. Be sure to tell your friends, family, neighbors, parole officer, DoorDash delivery person, and tax professional about us. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye.